to start today, I have uh, an image that I would like to put up on the screen. Maybe you saw we released it on, um, on uh, uh, Instagram this week. I want to know, what do you do when you <laughs> see this? Go ahead, you can shout it out. What do you do when you see this? Ignore it, yes. <laughs> I, was, I was counting on somebody to say that, actually. Absolutely. When we see the check engine light, we just think, I can probably go a little bit longer, right? It's not, it's not really gonna be that bad. It's probably gonna be okay. It's, it's like, I, I think for me, it is mostly just about the inconvenience. Like, if this was, some, I just, first off, can we just talk about like the technology? Like, I can, I can get, uh, I, I can get licensed to marry somebody online, but I still can't find out what my check engine light means in the 21st century without going to some like store and having somebody pull out a machine from the 1980s and hook it up to there and find out what it is, right? Like, come on, guys. Anyway, okay, that's a tangent <laughs> over. Anyway, uh, yeah, we keep driving, right? We ignore it. Uh, I think the check engine light is a great analogy for what we're going to talk about today. Um, and maybe I'll just hold it at that and you can see what we mean as we go along. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we, we, we all kind of feel like a little bit like inconvenienced by it. And yet, I don't know, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's there and it's shouting something at us and we need to do something with it. Uh. Yeah, I think it's a good analogy for today, too, because as we get into this more, mm -hmm. when it comes on, your immediate reaction isn't like, oh, no, I'm a horrible, ter terrible person oh, because yes, this just yeah, turned on. Yeah. It's just an indicator, and it's a reminder that something needs attention. I like that. So maybe, yeah. maybe what we're driving at is a more sensible way to deal with our check engine lights. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> uh, what we've been doing over the summer, if you've been with us, is we've been looking at uh, many psalms from the Hebrew uh, Bible. This is the prayer and song book of the Bible. We've been using uh, as our guide feminist process theologian Marjorie Suhaki. Uh, she has uh, released a book during the pandemic called 21 Psalms for the 21st Century, and so I'm a big fan of uh, Miss Suhaki, and so we've been, we've been learning from her. Uh, today we're going to look at Psalm 139, and uh, we're going to put it up, and Haley will read it here for us uh, in a second. Psalm 139, if you've spent much time in churches, maybe uh, one that you've heard some, uh, some famous lines from before. So uh, the most famous part is the first movement of it. We're going to split it up into three movements for us, and it's most of the psalm, verses 1 through 18, and this is like uh, the, these lines... I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This kind of beautiful affirmation of who you are. And it's, uh, it, I think it's probably among the most like easily accessible, like I read it and I'm just like, wow, that really moved me, mm -hmm. um, parts of the Bible. It, it's all, I mean like, you know, Instagram ready, you know, like it is, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's good to go. Uh, and then what's interesting though, is that's not, that's not you, that's usually most of what the Psalm, like we hear preached upon, but then there's these two other movements at the end that, means it kind of takes a dark turn. And so we're going to, we're going to uh, try to take all of it together today uh, rather than uh, separate it into three parts. You'll see, first we have this unconditional love movement. That's most of the psalm. And then we get a movement that's really like intensely about justice. And you'll see just how intense in a minute. And then the last bit of the psalm is kind of about this like it, it's another part that's actually well known. It's, it goes to repentance. It's search my heart and know me, God. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And may, maybe you've heard a message about that part too. Generally, what happens is we preach about the first part, 
and we preach about the end part, and we do so separately. So we have these two different messages, but we're, today we're going to try and take them all together. So I'm going to put the scripture up, Haley will read it for us, and then we can kind of unpack it. All right. It's a little bit longer, so if you want to just get comfy, feel free to read along or close your eyes if it helps you to focus in. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and night wraps itself around me, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know that very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Let's just stop there. That was so beautiful. No, I'm just kidding. Don't stop there. But wait. (laughs) Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God. And that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. Oh my gosh. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Forgive my my little awkward, roller coaster my, there. I, I, yeah, I, well, I'm trying to make my my Whoa. awkward uh, noises and and uh, <laughs> physical reactions so that you all can feel free to have your own physical reactions to what we just read. I hate them with perfect hatred. Did you guys see that? That's in the Bible. <laughs> I hate them with perfect hatred. Whoa, what is going on, right? So we've got these three movements, and. What we, uh, what we were, as we were talking about this week, and we were thinking about how usually you have verses 1 through 18 preached on to just, you know, like this beautiful, like, affirmation of who people are. And I've, I've heard those sermons, and they are wonderful. And I think we've probably given those sermons, mm-hmm. too. And they, 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 there's no reason we can't take those verses and, and mine them for all their good. And then that last bit, that, that, that uh, search me and, and know me, God, you know, I've heard, I've heard that preached about, like, you know, like, gosh, I... I feel regret for something that I've done, and these are verses that can be important to me 
uh, to, to process that regret and move on to something better. And absolutely, that also is something that is really like, that's a big part of life. Uh, we all experience regrets and we all need to find words to be able to process that. But what is, what is really interesting is that movement too, smack dab in the middle of those two things, mm-hmm. supposedly is supposed to tie these together mm-hmm. and we're gonna do our best to show you why this is a unit, why this is a, a whole prayer in and of itself. And so I, what I like to do is kind of separate it through these as we have up here for you, like the, the kind of the, the key part of movement one being that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And we just see this like, we, we goes back to something that we were talking about during Lent of the most true thing about any person is they uh, they are loved by God. That is the core of who people are, and that is so important. No matter what, no matter what, uh, when unconditional love. And so we have that piece as the beginning of this prayer, and then after that long musing on unconditional love, we go into this point of like. The, suddenly the psalmist is, is, is activated by justice. And, and, and what we might define justice as, is in, the, in this case, we might use verses 1 through 18 to define justice as respecting and acting as though others are loved by God just as much as I am praying that I might, you know, no matter what, unconditional love. That is really important to the psalmist and to the psalmist's God. And so we, we build on what we've just learned, and then we get this really intense prayer that, like, if if love is being, you know, if, the, if other people's chance to feel unconditional love is being limited, then I hate them, and I hate them with perfect hatred. It's really intense, right? It goes to the, the fullest extreme of expressing that, where it's, it's uncomfortable when you read it. What can tie these two things together? What can make this work? And we think that this final movement is what I would call the gut check, the check engine light, where we... Zoom, we, we zoom back to talking about myself rather, rather than looking at all those who I hate with perfect hatred. And what we do is we, we check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's saying, if you are getting involved in justice efforts, if you're trying to ensure that all feel unconditionally loved by God, you better also be praying, see if there be any hurtful way in me. It's almost like, like, a, like a warning, like, okay, that's, that's good to get involved in justice, but hang on, because if you're getting involved in that and you're not praying this, you may not be helping. You may, in fact, be making it worse if you're not combining movement two with movement three. Is there any desire in us for retribution? Kind of looks like the psalmist has some desire for retribution, right? Is there any desire for revenge? Kind of feels like the psalmist has gone there, right? And so what does the psalmist need to pray immediately after? God, I just let it all out. See if there be any hurtful way in me. Let me have a gut check before I take action. That will impact things. You, you, we, 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 we have to go through movement three if we've gone through movement two. And so I think, I think we see as, as, as a unit, when all of these are together, it feels profound. Mm-hmm. Even though when we take them out of context, verse Versus the, or the, the first movement and the third movement feel like fine sermons, but the second one makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really helpful because it's really human. You almost see yes. the psalmist processing through. Yes. Um, I don't know if anyone has had that reaction before, too, but when you are thinking certain things or saying certain things, then you have to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And also, okay. yeah, take a deep <laughs> maybe breath. I do yeah. need to think a little bit more about how, what my role in all of this is as well. So I love that that's just laid out when you actually Absolutely. take all so of these human. movements yes. together. Yeah. Um, because when you look at the first movement, 
asking, um, you don't have this foundation of the most true thing is that God loves me, and you're asking the question, see if there's any hurtful way in me, that can be really dangerous because that's where you get all of the messaging. It's like humans are rotten to the core, and you have to be perfectionistic when you're thinking about sin and things like that. Um, But the starting place is that the most true thing about me is that I am loved. And then I love that that gets extended to others and that that is what activates the justice. Um, And it's not just a reassurance about your fundamental goodness, but it's also a reassurance about this accessible, impossible relationship with a loving God. That first movement is filled with so much language around closeness with God, that where can I flee, where can I go, Um, that that closeness is just really highlighted. Yeah, it feels really important that it is the longest stretch. We need to marinate in that for a really long time before we start to move to turning our eyes toward, you know, the wider world or to others or or even turning our eyes to our own regrets and our own things that we need to process and and give up to growth and humility. The most of most of our prayer needs to be in the, if out of out of what is it? Out of like 26 verses. Verses 1 through 18 mm-hmm. are all just God is unshaking, unconditional love. And that's where we need to stay for those first 18 yes. verses of our lives. Um, I love that. I, I, think, I think that you're right that movement three and movement one need each other because if we just have one, we have that, that view of God that we talked about during Lent of like, you are well, um, you're a sinner in the hand of an angry God. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when we start with verses one through 18 and that's what we stay with, then it, it, I know that the, that the most true thing about me is I'm loved. And that is when we start to talk about, uh, okay, so in what ways do I, uh, am I hurt? And then, you know, therefore feel driven to hurt others. And that middle piece that's often skipped over, um, being able to just acknowledge the existence of pain and hurt and revenge seeking that might yes. be motivating some of these thoughts, even though it's such a jolting transition from this beautiful opening it's really important, and it reminds me of um, the phrase from Richard Rohr, the we uh, must transform our pain or we will transmit it, yes. this idea of transforming pain. And you can't transform it unless you actually acknowledge that it's there. I think that's exactly right. And we often maybe, uh, I mean, I am definitely somebody who has learned to repress feelings. I'm not really comfortable showing anger, and so I will put it aside and that's not transforming it. That's not, mm-hmm. like, I do actually have to put it somewhere. I actually have to move it through my body and through my mind if I'm going to transform it. Otherwise, I am going to take that on. I'm just going to be passive-aggressive because I'm not a very confrontational person. But, yeah, that, I, I think that's exactly right. If the acknowledgement of it is uncomfortable, but that's kind of the point. You have yes. to let, get it, move it through you. Yeah, definitely. But maybe we can talk a little bit about reacting to things that do outrage us. Yes. Like. Yeah, I, so I think, I, I think, like, from a... If we're taking Psalm 139 as a whole and we're trying to, um, it's sort of like what you were just driving us at is, it is okay for my reaction and my prayer in when I'm going about my daily life, when I'm uh, in, digesting the news, right, of, of the day, or when I'm interacting with people at work who might sometimes get on my nerves, right? You know, like fill in the blank for your daily life or your, your weekly life. Um, it is okay if my reactions in part include pretty extreme anger, pretty mm-hmm. extreme, like revenge-seeking, self-righteousness. It is okay if my reactions and my prayers include in part, I hate with perfect hatred. <laughs> However, what, is, what the question then, I think Psalm 139 asks is, does it stop there? 
or does it also include see if there be any hurtful way in me? And if it does, I think we're moving on the right track. We're moving on the right track of transform or else I will transmit. But if it doesn't, if self-righteousness is where my reaction and my prayers end, that's when I'm getting into a danger zone where the old phrase hurt people hurt people mm -hmm. is is what I'm what I'm in danger of. And I mean I'm I think we can talk about how obviously if you if you're staying at um, I, I hate them with perfect hatred. Obviously, you're in danger of hurting others. But I also think like there's there we can ask the spiritual question of what goes on inside me internally when that's where I end, when I don't move through that to something else. Definitely. Yeah, I think the the internal place of um, asking ourselves like what is it actually doing to me to hold on to these emotions doesn't get asked all that often. Yeah. But it's yeah. an important one. Well, so I remember being in a a mediation setting, so like two parties locked in conflict and then there's a mediator mm -hmm. there is trying to help them get unstuck. Um, and uh, this, uh, my friend uh, Dave is, is the mediator and in the middle of a very heated moment, my friend, my friend Dave uh, is really bold and he asks one of the parties, um, he says like, this might be uncomfortable, but um, is there any part of you that's seeking revenge here? Like he just flat out asked that question <laughs> and um, I, I think he, there, there's a lot of backstory to this. Like he had context to ask that for the two parties that were involved. Um, so it wasn't like he was just, you know, plowing right in like a, 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 a semi-truck. Um, but that struck me as so wise and so right on to ask such a bold question because I think he's surfacing that chance for the, the third movement. He's surfacing the chance for the gut check of like, okay, We've got some heated stuff going on. Everybody's kind of, you know, like uh, locked in their in their corners. Um, I see a lot of I hate with perfect hatred coming mm -hmm. out of you. Is there any revenge going on? And it's sort of it sort of it allowed for it, it was sort of an, an open door for saying uh, that's okay. Can we move to the next phase? Um, but it's real. I mean, like to do that is risky, right? And uh, and it required the right relationships in place to be able to do that. And I always think back to my friend Dave and his courage to to go for that. Yeah, it definitely can be risky. And I think that this has a lot of overlaps with conversations that we've had around sin. This idea of gut checks and breaking cycles of revenge. That it's not this instance of personal failure that we need to be trapped in guilt yeah. over because yeah. then that doesn't lead to moving beyond this hating with perfect hatred either. But instead it's just an honest and helpful assessment of our own humanness. Mm. And it brings to mind for me the difference uh, between bitterness and anger. Okay. That anger and outrage, I think, can be transformed a lot more productively mm -hmm. if we're going to take Roar's language here, being able to transform your pain. Bitterness tends to be where anger settles when yes. it's not addressed That's and transformed. That's a lot harder to transform. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. it's a lot more of a stuck place to be. Yes. And that's really, bitterness is where the us versus them mentality yeah. can really just fester. Yeah. Uh, but in the book that we've been looking at this summer, Marjorie Suhaki asks really important questions around the second movement with the psalmist asking God to slay the wicked. Yeah, yeah. And she says, um, is it right for the psalmist to ask God to kill them? Or is the psalmist to determine who and who are not haters of God? Yeah, yeah. Is the psalmist the one who gets to be held up as the standard against whom all others are judged? And then when we read this, do we in our own day make ourselves the standard of sure. righteousness? These sure. are all super important questions. Yes. I think the biggest things for me that come out of her wonderings are this idea of, is it right to ask this in coming to God and expressing, especially when we think of the Psalms as poetry and songs, 
to go to God saying, God, would you slay the wicked? Is that right? And I think it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's just human. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That maybe we don't have as extreme a mentality as asking God to slay the wicked or kill, but maybe we have common feelings of wanting to see someone fail, wanting to see something fall apart, wanting someone else to experience some roadblocks when yes. they're trying to move in just things forward. But it's really important, again, to do that inner examination of what is motivating this and what is this doing to me personally. Yeah. And the other piece of it that's really important to me is this idea of making ourselves the standard of righteousness. Mm -hmm. Anne Lamott has this great quote. Um, she's a writer, and she says, you know you've made God in your own image when he hates everyone you do. Yes, right, right. <laughs> and I right. come back to that one a lot. Yes, yeah. Um, but I just think that these questions are really important to be asking. What is the motivation behind this, and who am I actually holding as the standard? And I, and I love your bit, again, going back to how human it is to, um, one, maybe one of the, um, how human it is to include movement, too. Is, is, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting out ahead of myself. I, I do think that um, some of the way that we will often talk about the usefulness of uh, having an ancient text like the Bible as, um, as something to ground you, as something to um, hold you to a tradition, the usefulness is not always that um, you take the Bible wholesale and apply it to your day to day. The usefulness is seeing human stories mm -hmm. unfold and people try to make sense of God in ways that maybe you might differ from and maybe it would be wise to, like, I mean, Jesus in many ways differs from the Hebrews in terms of how he sees God and he does it quite specifically and we're supposed to, you know, but, but he doesn't throw out the text when he does that and that's what's really important. I think that um, we, we often feel um, driven for like purity tests mm -hmm. and, and, and stuff like this and so if I were to write you know, the, the perfect prayer for uh, a day when I want people to, you know, uh, when I'm feeling um, activated by justice. I think unconditional love is being withheld from people. Like if we think about, you know, just last month celebrating pride as a church and the history of churches withholding unconditional love from the LGBTQ community. If I'm writing the perfect prayer for that, I might skip over movement too because it makes me uncomfortable mm -hmm. or because I don't want to show that. I don't want, well, no, 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 no. no. But, but the idea of being able to include that and not run away from it and not pretend it's not there is extremely important to an actual human way that we deal with this because pretending that I'm not entertaining those thoughts is is I mean like that that's just me being afraid of emotions that's mm -hmm. not me being any any more noble than anybody else right and, uh, and but I do think that that a, a real threat to um, to creating viable alternatives for people who, as, as we say here, you know, feel more comfortable in progressive settings when it comes to spiritual health, when it comes to growth, when it comes to connection with God, we cannot fall into purity tests. Yeah. Purity tests are not going to take us anywhere. We have to let those things sit in the room and then trust that we can transform them so that we don't transmit them. But if we if we just hide from them, I mean, that, that that's not going to help. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. And it, it really does get at this, like, the ultimate motivation behind this idea of the check engine light or a gut check oh, that's, can't yes. be our own rightness yes. because that defeats the entire purpose. Yes. Um, but that the, the act of self-examination is really rooted in that first movement of the psalm, that this inner goodness and closeness with God, that's what motivates things not your need to be right or to be pure or whatever yeah. that might look like to do things perfectly. Yes, um, yes. 
But I, li- I like the check. Wait, just yeah. quickly on the check engine light because I think I think that's why that analogy is so good. Because if we're responding to it, if we're not just ignoring it. Um, <laughs> It's not about having a perfect functioning car, right? Like, who has a car that doesn't have problems, right? Uh, that, that, like, it, the moment you drive it off the lot, it has problems. Um, but it's about making sure that it's as safe as possible, as drivable as possible, not, not, going, uh, not going to hurt anyone or not going to hurt me, right? And likewise, the gut check, the, the movement three in this prayer, it isn't about purity. It isn't about having a, a, a heart that is, you know, that never goes into movement two. But it's about making sure that we recognize that's a part of who we are and limiting the harm that we can do by staying more in line with our values. That's the value of movement three, the gut check. Definitely. Yeah. I, even just yesterday, it was funny, I was scrolling through social media and saw this list pop up. You're saying how Instagrammable this one mm-hmm. can be. What, Psalm 139 was in there? And it was a like, list of verses to boost your self-esteem. Okay, and this was go. the first one. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, I don't know if you read the end of this. <laughs> like Maybe you didn't make it all the way through. But the, it's you have to be able to hold them in balance. Yes. And I think that the beauty of being known by God that gets stressed so much in the beginning, that's also a welcomed invitation to be changed and to move forward in a different direction mm-hmm. when accompanied by God. It's yes. not just a self-esteem boost. Yes. It's actually granting. And when you think about like the people that are closest to you, often they have more permission to challenge speak you into on your things, life, right? Totally. To speak into your life, to see like, hey, you need to maybe be thinking about this differently or mm-hmm. doing this differently. Um, but you brought up the word repentance really briefly earlier. Yeah. I think repentance can be a super difficult word, but in a really practical sense, it just means turning in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And so I think the entirety of Psalm 139, when we hold it together, has this healthy picture of what repentance can be. That we have a loving starting place, Mm -hmm. and then we have the inevitability of wrestling with hatred and anger that arises within us. Yes, all that, yeah. Whether it is big-scale injustices or personal conflict. Mm -hmm. And then we have the necessity of approaching our humanness with humility and a willingness to change. It doesn't just stop at the self-reflective piece. There's actually an active part of this, of turning in a new direction because of this closeness with God. I like that. I like how all of those kind of work together in that way. I, so maybe like kind of bring us for a landing here. Yeah. My um, seeing these as a unit to me feels like one of the unique contributions that um, Christians, that the Jesus tradition can, uh, can make to the wider world's efforts for more just, for uh, more justice, more, um, unconditional love being something that's not withheld from anybody. Um, so I think this idea of like, this is, this is sort of the foundation of um, Christian efforts for breaking cycles of revenge. Like that has been in, in, in the most social, social justice oriented uh, a, a parts of the church since the beginning. This has been like, you know, like look at the way that the, the story of Jesus breaks cycles of revenge, models humility. Uh, the most unique thing Jesus taught was love your enemies, right? Um, so I think, I think this, is, this is something that like, if you want to be a part of larger things, to be able to bring this and bring that whole humanness and try to hold people in the space of like being able to, like the hard part is we live in the age of hot takes and headlines and everything is like, has to be really pithy. It has to fit on like, you know, one Instagram square or else you can't say it. And what we're talking about is something that's not quick. It, it's very nuanced. It's like, 
Well, you kind of do need to say that I hate per- perfect hatred, but not not because you want that to be the quote that's your you know on your yearbook. You know, like you you kind of have to go through that because it's human, and then you can get to see if there be any hurtful way in me. But also, don't forget to start with love. Like that, we can't say that quickly. <laughs> we can't say that fast and just like on an Instagram post and oh my gosh, like yeah, meaning of life right there. <laughs> you have to take your time. It's nuanced. It's it it requires like staying with it and being uncomfortable and holding tensions. And that, I think, is the unique contribution that can be made. To, if, if, we are, if that's what we're taking as, like, this is what Jesus teaches, I think that can have a huge impact on the bloodthirstiness that is around today. As, the, you know, Psalm 139, praying against bloodthirstiness. I think today, what is that? It is the pillaging of the poor and the planet in the name of the rich, right? Like, we have an incredible way to contribute to fighting that if we're holding to all three of the movements of Psalm 139 together. Uh, it, 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 we can't deliver it in the quick, easy, fast way, but if we can hold those together and, and show it by like modeling it with relationship, by continually staying in the, you know, even when we're misunderstood and, 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 and holding to, uh, to, to this kind of message, I think we can say something really powerful. And um, if, if I can like end with like one more picture of this is I, I think of um, somebody that we've uh, learned about before, Howard Thurman, the African-American mm-hmm. mystic uh, from uh, early 20th century. And this was one of Dr. King's teachers. So maybe you've never uh, read Howard Thurman, but you're probably familiar with some of Howard Thurman's thoughts because uh, supposedly uh, Dr. King carried uh, a book, one book uh, or two books with him, wherever he went. Apparently it's the Bible and uh, uh, Jesus and the Disinherited by um, Howard Thurman. Um, so Howard Thurman uh, suggested that, uh, that he, call, he had this, uh, this phrase of the hounds of hell that affect the disinherited, that is people who uh, live with their backs against the wall in society. So he's talking about his experience as an African-American man in the 20th century. And uh, what he said is one of the hounds of hell is hate. And hate, I think, is a good word for us to kind of stay with for a minute because it's in this psalm. One of the hounds of hell, the things that kind of, that, that, that nip at the, at the heels of the disinherited is hate. We, the, it's a, he said that the powerful hate the disinherited and persecute them, and then the disinherited cannot escape the pressure, just the constant psychic pressure to hate in return. It's so hard to escape that pressure to hate in return when you are persecuted and hated. And... So, like, Thurman had the courage to talk about this. That's, that's not an easy thing to bring up, right? When you are the disinherited, to bring up and say, we've got to be careful to not turn around and do the same thing. I mean, that's, that's a challenge. And, and he, he I, mean, I mean, maybe one of uh, Dr. King's most famous statements builds upon this idea from uh, Howard Thurman. He would say, uh, like an unchecked cancer, hate corrodes the personality and eats away at its vital unity. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And that is one of Dr. King's most known phrases. Uh, he's building on Thurman. Uh, when he says that, and I think, I think that idea from Thurman of like, man, we've got to acknowledge that that hate, that pressure to hate is in us, and we've got to move through it. That's what we're talking about with Psalm mm-hmm. 139. That's what we're talking about with holding these three together. And I think that that pressure to let hate go from this inner thought process that is very human mm-hmm. to actual actions You're not and bad words. For feeling that. Yes. You are not a sinner if you feel like you want to seek revenge. But when it moves beyond that into actions and words, I think it has to do with this immediacy that you're talking about, that 
this constant pressure to respond in a certain way, yeah. react in a certain way, that we actually don't get to the landing place of yes. see if there's any hurtful way within me because that becomes the afterthought. That's right. And we then just, bitterness calcifies exactly. like you're talking about. Yes. So I think to actually see the entire process through before reacting Before and acting. responding, yes. That's good, that's good, um, that's wise, yeah. I think that slowing down is actually really deeply tied to this work. 100%, if we're making such huge moves between movement one to movement two to movement three, you know, like, I, that's why I was trying to be, I was be, just being kind of stupid with like my <laughs> facial reactions and verbal reactions when you're reading, but like we should have the experience of like, what, what? Where did we just go for a second? And if we're doing that, if we're making that many jumps, we need to slow down. It, it, it's the sign that you have to take a deep breath in between them so that you can make the whole journey through movement one to two to three. There's one more thing I'll say on this yeah, too. Yeah. Um, Andrea Gibson, who's a poet that we talked about mm -hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago, they have this, uh, on the, a podcast that I was listening to, they were talking about how they don't really think of people as good people or bad people, just people who are trying. Yes. And so I yes. think it might be helpful too that if we hold these movements together, we may be seeing someone in their movement too mm -hmm. before they've actually had the chance to slow down Absolutely. and move into the self-reflective piece of what is the hurtful way in me. And knowing that we've been there as well, yep. I think it can be a lot more humanizing and less polarizing. Not that it justifies any type of injustice that they may be participating in, but to say, this is where this person is right now. Can I hold with them the Can entirety of them? the story? I, I just love that. And I think that we do need to tie that back to how fast everything moves in when the, when the internet is what mediates all of our interactions about this. I mean, we are, we are just demanded to take immediate stands. We are demanded to immediately have a take on what's just happened. And what we're suggesting here, again, that idea of like, if this is a unique Christian contribution that can be made to a better universe, a better world, mm -hmm. maybe our message of Psalm 139 is slow down because it, life goes in movements. And sometimes you have to go into movement two before you can get to movement three. And, and if we can make that a message that I, I think that can that can absolutely fight a lot of the vitriol that um, ca makes it worse. That, that hurt people hurt people rather than allowing people to move through that, allow, okaying that, normalizing that, not throwing that part of the Bible out, and then letting it do its work of transformation. Definitely. Yeah. Well, as an effort of slowing down right now and taking some time for prayer, I would love to lead us in something called a loving kindness meditation. This is something that we have done before. Um, and involves praying over yourself and then bringing to mind someone that you think of really fondly and really care about, praying over them, and then praying over someone that you maybe have more of a difficult relationship with. So an enemy, as the psalm paints that, as um, we read today, and that this may be the area where you need a gut check most. Um, so I will guide us through this process, but if you just want to settle into a place, a comfortable place, you can close your eyes or feel free to fix your gaze on somewhere in the room to help focus in and then take a few deep breaths as we settle. God, we begin with ourselves. We ground ourselves in the idea that we are first and foremost loved and known by you. 
Would you help to bring to mind now something that we are in need of, something that we are longing for? I'll invite you to pray these words over yourself. May I experience love. May I experience wellness. May I feel guided and assured that I am not alone. I invite you to bring to mind now someone that you care about deeply, that you have positive feelings and emotions around. And as you pray over them, would you consider what may they be in need of? Would you pray these words over them? May they experience love. May they experience wellness. May they feel guided and assured that they are not alone. Now I invite you to bring to mind someone that you may have a more difficult time with. Maybe there's some negativity or conflict there. And take a moment to really consider what may they be in need of? And not in some snarky way, like, oh, they definitely need some patience or something like that, but a genuine asking of what may they be in need of? And would you pray these words over them? May they experience love. May they experience wellness. May they feel guided and assured that they are not alone. And as Psalm 139 says, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our thoughts. See if there is any hurtful way within us and lead us in the way everlasting. Amen.